You're listening to a podcast by Lance Lambert Ministries. For more information on this ministry, visit lancelambert.org. In this episode, Lance reads from Isaiah 8:14 and speaks about the Lord Jesus being the cornerstones from which we, little stones, are built together. He talks about us being right with each other in fellowship and seeing each other realistically, but seeing Christ in each other realistically too. Let's listen. Now shall we bow together in a very short word of prayer. Shall we all really unite to ask the Lord to be with us in this last few moments. Now we pray together, dear Lord, that thou wilt be very much with us in these last few moments of our time together as we turn to thy word. We pray, Lord, thou wilt make it live to us, each one. We thank thee for that ministry of the Holy Spirit who is able to make the word really live to each one. We pray, Lord, that our hearts may be opened, we may receive of thee, we may receive light from thee. O Father, do hear us, we pray, as together we commit ourselves now to thee. We pray for those, Lord, in need in any part of the world, that thou wilt be with them. O Father, we remember especially the members of thy family, that thou wilt just be greatly with each one. Now, Father, do help us. We turn to thee. It's a hot day, but we pray that thou wilt marvelously renew and fresh refresh us. We thank thee for thy presence, Lord, already in our midst, and we trust thee now, Lord, that we might hear thy voice, and in hearing thy voice may receive from thee. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I just want to turn to... um, Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 14. Would the stewards like to go down and see what on earth this commotion is going on back here? Seems to be people sort of Shouting, children crying. <coughs> they can go up the garden if they want to. I mean, I don't know whether they're having a family row or what. <laughs> uh, verse 14, Isaiah 8, uh, chapter 8 of Isaiah, verse 14. Well, we, we will read from verse 13. The Lord of hosts. Him shall ye sanctify, and let him be your fear, and let him be your dread, and he shall be for a sanctuary. But for a stone of stumbling and for a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel, for a gin and for a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, And many shall stumble thereon, and fall, and be broken, and be snared, and be taken. 
Um, it's amazing how, although you may have read the Word of God for years or feel that you know it to a certain extent, to suddenly come upon something which you feel you've never read before. And uh, a few days ago, I read this um, verse 14, and I felt as if I had never at any time ever read it before. And he shall be for a sanctuary. And the word here in Hebrew is the word used for the holy place. It is used again and again for the house of God, for the temple, for the tabernacle. Uh, we speak of lifting up our hands in the holy place. It's a phrase we find in the Psalms. Um, it, uh, it is used for the place where God meets with people and people meet with God. The place which symbolically set forth the dwelling place of the Lord. And uh, the more I thought about it, the more uh, entranced in, in I became. Uh, it doesn't say, he shall give you a sanctuary. It doesn't say he will uh, meet you in the sanctuary. It doesn't say he will bless you from the sanctuary. It says he shall himself be for a sanctuary. In other words, here we've come right face to face with what I have twice touched upon in uh, recent uh, uh, months, and that is the purpose of God. The Lord himself, our sanctuary. Now, I can't help feeling that the Apostle Peter had this very much in mind when he wrote in his first letter and chapter 2. Indeed, most of you will see in your margin or in your footnotes, whatever version you're using, that he actually refers to this chapter. Verse 4, unto whom, that's Christ, coming a living stone rejected indeed of men, but with God elect, precious, ye also as living stones are built up a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Because it is contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be put to shame. For you therefore that believe is the preciousness, but for such as disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, the same was made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. That's the quotation from uh, Isaiah 8, uh, verse 14 and 15. For they stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye are an elect race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that ye may show forth the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who in time past were no people, but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have 
obtained mercy. When we touched on this matter of the purpose of God, standing fast forever, uh, his, the thoughts of his heart to all generations, we said that behind all time and behind all the works of God and behind all the dealings of God and behind the very redeeming grace of God lies this tremendous purpose of his to have a people for himself to bring a people into union with himself to bring a people into such a relationship with himself that he and they were one absolutely one not that he loses of course his complete uh, distinctiveness but that we become partakers of the divine nature that we become as it were participants in the very life of God that we receive from him now I can't go back again we've spent two mornings and as I said in the last weeks touching on this matter and I'm not very really careful we shall go over it all again because it's such a wonderful matter and it wouldn't do much harm if we did uh, quite honestly it has to be said uh, again and again uh, for it really by the Holy Spirit to uh, get into us but I want to move on and not just um, stop with the first thing um, the fact is that this this people brought into union with God this people who've been made partakers of the divine nature. These people who become the recipients of eternal life are called the church. Now, unfortunately, we have such sort of, that word has such connotations for most of us. We think of an organization, we think of an institution, we think of some dull meetings, we think of sort of difficult people, perhaps. We think of an empty, vacuous kind of place, dark and uh, dismal. I don't know, it's amazing what, this, what the enemy has done over this word church. And yet all it means is this, a people called out, and not only <clears throat> called out, but called into. The ecclesia of God. They are people who have been called by God himself out of this world, out of this world system, out of this world order, out of the powers of darkness, and have been brought into his son, have been brought into the new man, have been brought into the new creation, have been brought into the kingdom of his dear son. In the final analysis, the church is Christ. The Lord Jesus touched on this matter in John chapter 2 when he said, <clears throat> verse 19, Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Of course, he spoke of the temple of his own body. But I am convinced that the Lord Jesus said far more than just that he was to be raised on the third day. Because what is the resurrection? If it does not mean that in Christ an innumerable company of the redeemed have been raised. 
made alive together with Christ, raised up with Him, made to sit with Him in heavenly places. For by grace have ye been saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So the Lord Jesus, when He said, destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up, was speaking of uh, a new man. He was speaking of the temple of God, the house of God, the eternal home of God. Now, I, I think that that is something very, very wonderful. Every single one of us who's born of God this morning, we're in that. Whether we know it or not, we're in it. Well, we, we, have been, um, we have been brought into this family of God. We have been brought into this relationship with Jesus Christ. No man or woman can be saved by the grace of God without coming into that relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, to me, then... Uh, uh, this little word in Isaiah about uh, he shall be for a sanctuary. What did it really mean? Imme immediately Isaiah goes on to say, but for a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. The apostle Peter evidently had some light on this matter. He saw the Lord Jesus Christ as the living stone. And then he saw us as living stones. That when we come to the living stone, we also as living stones are built up a spiritual house. The Lord Jesus again, I think, um, put it in other words when he said in Matthew 16, verse 18, Thou art Peter, a little chip of the rock, a little pebble, a, a stone, a, a little sort of a small rock of a rock. Um, but uh, upon this rock, the solid massive, I will build my church. Now, I understand that to mean this. That rock is God. It is the very life of God. And we are all quarried out of that life. And it is the Lord Jesus Christ who is the foundation stone, if you like, the great cornerstone. And then we also, in him and joined to him, are built up to be this uh, home of God in the Spirit. So I think there are three um, phases I would use in connection with this. We are built out of Christ. In other words, what God is doing is this. He brings me to Christ. He puts Christ into me. And then he begins to take that life and nature of Christ. And that becomes the material for the building. We're built out. We're quarried out of Christ. That's the first thing. The second thing is, we are built in him. There's much in the New Testament about being in Christ and what it means to be in Him. In Him we find all our provision. In Him we find all that we need and so on and so forth. 
And the third thing is we are built up into him. That is, there is a progress. You've got that, for instance, um, in Ephesians um, 4. Verse 15, speak truth in love, may grow up in all things into him. So, it is out of Christ, it is in Christ, and it's growing up into him. There is a process. First of all, it is not what I am naturally, um, but what there is of Christ in me, as the Apostle put it in Colossians 1 and verse 27, Christ in you is the hope of glory. Then it is that I remain in him, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear any fruit except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. Apart from me ye can do nothing. In Christ. And the third thing is the process. Now this is where, of course, we all find the greatest difficulty. It's the process. It's growing up into him and finding the rest of the family. If it was only just a question of being all sort of in the air, abstract, vague, as many people would like it to be. Uh, they, 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 they make this matter of the church something that is totally invisible. So that uh, it all happens up there. We can have dog fights, cat fights, every other fight down here. But evidently the church up there is without spot, without blemish, no mark, nothing at all. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's uh, an amazing thing that's going on. Now, of course, there's more than a little truth in that. Uh, the work is going on, whatever happens. But the fact still remains that we have to learn the lessons here. We have to overcome here. We have to find each other in a right relationship here. We have to be disciplined by one another here. We have to discover Christ in one another here. I think that's quite important. We just get hold. Uh, of that. that all this kind of work going on in the heavenly is not heavenly doesn't just mean that we can behave in any way we can do anything we can just live any way even as the people of God in just the same way that every one of us understands that personally you, if a person says he's a Christian and lives in sin there's something wrong we all understand that if a person says he's a Christian and is a thief, there's something wrong. If a person says he's a Christian and commits adultery, something's wrong. And we all understand that. We would immediately say, this doesn't tie up. He may be a Christian, but he's fallen. Something's gone wrong. Now, if that person starts to uh, uh, sort of uh, speak about spiritual things, put everyone else right, and uh, Scored to generally be an authority on every given matter, so much the worse. We then understand that, there is, that this cannot be. Now, in exactly the same way, it is true of the church. 
We cannot believe in something that's just up there, which is perfect, unspotless, without blemish, without fault. And then carry on anyway down here. We have to find each other in the Lord. Where there's been estrangement, it has to be put right. Now the scripture is full of this matter. Full of it. When the Lord Jesus gave us the pattern prayer, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We came to this little point, Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them the trespass against us. That was the only point the Lord took out of that tremendous prayer and underlined. You would have thought he would have taken out thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven and said, that's the thing that's simply tremendous. He didn't. Or hallowed be thy name. Or thy kingdom come. But the Lord Jesus took out the one thing to do with practical relationships. He said, for if you do not forgive your brother, neither will your heavenly father forgive you. Severe and solemn word. The Apostle John got hold of this absolutely in his first letter. He said, how can we talk about loving God if we don't love one another? If we can talk about loving someone he says we don't see, how come we cannot love the person who's begotten of him? Who is, as it were, to put it rather irreverently, the sort of um, seen end. Can we treat each other in that kind of way and get away with it? Yes. I think most of you must be asleep. Um, yes. You can get away with it. Down here. I have now lived long enough to see Christians do all kinds of things in the name of the will of God and in the name of Christ. And they get away with it. Still they seem to read their Bible, still they pray, still they seem to go on, but they won't get away with it. You cannot get away from the laws of spiritual life. What happens is this, we pass into a fool's paradise. We're still saved, still the grace of God is available, but all the building work has stopped from that moment. We can put other people right, we can pass our judgment on this message or that message, we can pass our judgment on this meeting or that meeting, or this organization or that organization, but in actual fact, from heaven's point of view, all building work in that life has stopped and will stop until the thing's put right. Thus the Lord Jesus becomes either the means of our being built together into a holy habitation for God or a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. More people fall out in the matter of fellowship than any other thing. We can all talk about God up there. We can all talk about the wonders of God's word. We can all talk about worshipping him and so on. But when it comes to flesh and blood relationships, that's where our whole Christian life and character is put finally to the test. 
Now, I am not saying, of course, that uh, therefore everything should be beautiful and sweet. And thing. I mean, we have to be realists. Um, we are a difficult lot. <laughs> uh, all of us are difficult people. We, it doesn't matter, even the sweetest of people, their very sweetness becomes a difficulty. <laughs> well, that's perfectly true. Their very sweetness becomes a difficulty in them because they sometimes become naive and foolish, always landing problems on others. But you see, it is this very, this very work of finding each other in Christ. Why did the Apostle Paul, you would have thought the Apostle Paul would have been impervious to this kind of thing. You would have thought he was living on a level way, he wouldn't even worry. But look what he says in um, 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 2, in the first verses, he says, I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. What did he mean? That he was just going to talk about spiritual things. He was just going to sort of give little sermonettes here, there, and everywhere. Little words of sort of wisdom to this one and that one, passing through the situation in an impervious and superior manner, not at all. What he meant was this, that he was determined to go through in fellowship with every one of the four factions. And he was going to go through on the basis that Jesus Christ and him crucified was the foundation of the whole lot. He wasn't going to accept the Apollos clique or the Kephas clique or the Pauline clique or the exclusive clique. He was going to, de he determined, I will only know Jesus Christ. Now, what did that mean? That he would take a high and mighty attitude to them. Oh, so-and-so, that lot. <laughs> right out of the way of God. Right out of the way of God. No time for them. No time. He could have easily done it. Wasn't he caught up to the third heaven? Hadn't he seen things that, that other people had not heard or seen? That's so great that he was told he mustn't utter a word about it. Wasn't this man the recipient of tremendous visions, revelations from God? If any man could have been superior, it could have been the Apostle Paul. But listen to him. He pleads with them. You Corinthians, he said, you've made us look like fools. We come to you groveling. We plead with you. I've opened my mouth wide, he says in, in, in one place. So that you can all put your foot in it. That's my way of putting it. But that's exactly what he said if you read it. So that you can all put your foot in it. This was his attitude. What was it? It was that he was determining in the least significant of those saints to discover Jesus Christ and him crucified. And to make that the basis of his fellowship. No question of cliqueiness. No question of sort of just going with those who agreed with him. How easy it would have been. What's some, what's, what's a, a sort of uh, um, fund for his self-esteem if he had gone to the Pauline group and said, now, um, now look here, I don't want you to make too much of me. Of course you're on the right line. <laughs> I don't want you to make too much of me. I mean, I am after all only a human being. Um, but... Uh, um, uh, just try to be a little kinder to the others. 
But you're on the right lines. I'm thrilled about you all. Could have been so like that. But evidently, as far as we can tell, he was as hard on them as the rest. Perhaps harder. His attitude was that there's a foundation here. Now, get this clear, dear child of God. This question of the Lord Jesus being a rock of offense and a stone of stumbling is not only, although of course principally, for the unsaved. You came into the salvation of God through our Lord Jesus Christ who died and on the third day was raised. You, even if you don't know it, have come into a building program. Jesus, I think of John the Baptist, here was a man who was very much an individualist in some ways, by, by, of necessity, but not really. He sent a message to the Lord Jesus when he was in prison. He had doubts, serious doubts. It seems that he wasn't too keen on the more charismatic side of it all. And he said, uh, I don't know, I hear a lot of excitement and a lot of things going on. Are you really? the Messiah. And the Lord Jesus was quite severe. Go back, he said, and tell him, the blind see, the dumb speak, the deaf hear, the lame walk. And blessed is the man, whosoever it is, who is not offended in me. Now, does that mean that a believer can be offended in Christ? Yes, it does. Now, every one of us here would immediately say, but I would never be offended in Christ. No, no. You would never be offended by your conceptions of Christ. But you might be offended by the reality. I dare say that if there was an open vision given to us all of the reality of Jesus Christ, many of us would receive a shock from which it would take us some time to recover. Of course, we shall all get that shock one day when we see him as he is. Very interesting. Now, God is so compassionate and so gracious with us all. He knows we're finite. He knows we're small. He knows that we can only grasp something. That's why he's, he surrounds us with his grace. That's why this wonderful accent this morning has been on amazing grace. But still, there can be a stone of stumbling. What is a stone of stumbling? It's just a rock that's been left. There, we trip over it. You can do a lot of damage tripping over a a rock. I fell down the stairs uh, the other day. Mercifully, the Lord uh, caught me. Um, well, actually, I fell upwards. Uh, well, I <laughs> always do things rather un in an rather unusual way. But um, the fact was that uh, it could have been a severe thing. I've known people fall off one step and break their neck. Whilst I don't want to spread gloom uh, or fear amongst you all, 
the fact of the matter is that uh, a fall can be a serious thing. Have you ever fallen over the Lord Jesus? I have to confess I have. There have been one or two things in my life which I thought were not Christ. I remember the very first time I ever came into touch with Honor Oak. Oh, I thought that was the most dreadful place in the whole wide world. It was for me to start with a stone of stumbling. I fell over something. I ran away, although they had made a bed for me and everything else at that conference. I fled from them, rather like Elijah fleeing from Jezebel, into the wilderness. And there I stayed for one whole year until God sorted me out. And in his wonderful grace and mercy, he brought me right through. I saw the very thing I had stumbled at in one way was in fact reality. Is it possible for someone who longs for God and wants to go on with God? Is it possible for them to stumble over reality? Yes, it is. It uh, shakes up the kind of cozy, comfortable little feeling we might have. That this is it. We've arrived. We've got it all nicely now. We've got it at our fingertips. And then all of a sudden something comes in which disturbs the whole thing. And then we think, it can't be of God. It can't be of God. There are other ways I could speak of it. <clears throat> Rock of offense. A stone of some, but dear child of God, we must finish. Our time is completely gone. But dear child of God, why stop there? Why stop there? Uh, that's not really, I think, what the Lord is trying to say this morning. He shall be for a sanctuary. Sanctify, it says, the Lord. And in another place in the word of God, it says, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Sanctify the Lord. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. And he shall be for a sanctuary. In other words, God will get on with the building work. He will build us together as we fear him. And as we hold fast to him. The work will go on. We shall discover one another in the Lord. We shall get a right, a right relationship to one another in the Lord. This doesn't mean, as some people think, that we sort of um, see each other all the time through rose-colored spectacles. You see, we've got such strange ideas. We think that often this means that somehow we've got to look at each other in sort of a uh, sort of marvelous way, and and sort of, and we think, I can't do that. I just can't do it. I think so-and-so's got very little. Um, but the fact of the, of the matter is this. It's to be able to see each other realistically. But to be able to see each other in Christ realistically. And to be able to see Jesus Christ and him crucified in one another, realistically. That's the key.
when I get there, God pours life into me. And I think surely that uh, most of you have had that kind of experience. That when you've really come through on something and got right over something, it's as if the floodgates of heaven open. You think, well, I don't know, I was waiting for someone to say, give some terrific message that would turn me upside down or, or, or perhaps uh, do this or do that or do the other. And this is how it came. I just went and said to so-and-so, I'm genuinely sorry for what I've said or done about you. Or I, I, try, I just put this right or I put that right, sometimes in deed more than, than word, and suddenly the floodgates of heaven open. And he shall be for a sanctuary. Oh, there was so much more I wanted to say, but the time's gone. I wanted to talk about going into the temple of the Lord and beholding the beauty of the Lord. I wanted to talk about considering his temple, as the psalmist says, inquiring in his temple. There were many, many things. I wanted to talk about um, uh, being uh, filled with the fatness of his house, uh, drinking of the river of delights that there is therein, finding him as the fountain of life, and finding that in his light there is more light. All these things are all connected with the sanctuary. Well, may the Lord just help us at least to get the first thing right. Uh, and to be those who, uh, whom God can get on with the work of building together and building up into him. And producing more and more of the material out of which that eternal home of God is being uh, built. Shall we pray? Dear Lord, we praise Thee for what Thou art, and oh, we want to thank Thee again for that amazing grace of Thine which has reached us, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that Thou wilt not allow what has been said this morning to be in any way something which robs us of joy or robs us of life, but Lord, we pray that we shall know what it is to make Thee our fear and to make Thee our dread in a right way for thou art our sanctuary. Oh, beloved Lord, that that building work may go on in all our lives. We commit ourselves afresh now to thee, dear Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. May you learn how to be built together with saints on the foundation of Christ. May you know the deep, deep love of Jesus.